Hello, everybody, friends, countrymen, let me your ears. It's it's Garrett Sussman of iPull Rank Agency Demand Generation Manager for Rankable Live. And uh, transparently, I was just telling John, our guest, who I will introduce in a second, this is the last Rankable Live that I'll be doing for a good month plus. Uh, I'm going on about a month-long hiatus, but don't worry. Uh, we're going to do kind of a new format starting March 3rd, where our senior digital uh, marketing specialist, Aaron Johnson, who this dude, this dude's rocking. I'm already excited to for you to see some of the content he's creating. Check out our TikTok channel. Um, but he's going to start doing a more of a case study deep dive version of the podcast. So it's going to be awesome. But today I'm excited. I am joined by an in-house amazing gentleman. I get the privilege of working with him every day. The director of software engineering at IPO Rank, John Merch. Thanks for joining me, John. Thanks for having me here. Super excited and pumped and uh, yeah, big fan. So finally get to jump on the, the stage. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, you and I, like we internally on our Slack channels are always geeking out about SEO. You're always kind of paying attention to things in marketing. You've been a, you're a Pittsburgh based developer. You know, you stumbled into SEO while building WordPress websites in 2005. You've done in-house, you've done consulting. Now you're you're building some some ridiculous tools uh, for iPoll rank and, and big plug. So John, find him on Twitter at John Merch. He just started a technical SEO weekly newsletter where he's kind of rounding up very much a like focus on the GitHub repositories out there, all the cool things that are happening in technical SEO. You want to talk real quick about what the newsletter's got in it? Yeah, it just kind of started because I find a lot of interesting code snippets and repos and just random things here and there that I think are a bit technical for people, unless you can program in Python or JavaScript. Um, but some of the things aren't, but I just wanted a place to kind of put it and get it out there because I feel like I'm copying and pasting messages, sending to people being like, hey, check this out. This is cool. And so now I'm like, okay, like go sign up for my newsletter and uh, we'll broadcast that out. So. It's awesome too, because it's interesting. You were asking, we were talking about it, and there really aren't a lot of like these this type of technical SEO newsletter out there. Like, how how big or, or niche do you think the technical SEO community is at this point in terms of technical SEOs who actually are engineers or are developers? Is it it's it's not relatively huge, right? Yeah, I don't think it's that big, but I feel like there's also a lot of developers who do things that may not post up about it or maybe not realize like the uh, implications of what they're doing and uh, how useful it could be to others or just even just a, a way to see like how somebody else is doing something and, and um, go from there. So it's, it's a, it, it, I mean, that's the world of code too, right? Like no matter where you're going, like whenever you have a problem, there's going to be more than one solution and just seeing like how so like so much of it is just the way you think about a technical problem so having that it it's exciting I, I think it's cool that you're really doing it let's dive in i'm curious how how'd you get into seo in the first place mention something about wordpress websites yeah so actually in college went to the university of vermont studied computer science i was building wordpress sites for some teachers as a, a paid um gig on campus and uh basically that kind of led to my role after college moved to new york city worked for ziff davis building out some of their blogs and podcasts um kind of got into a bit more of the affiliate space toolbar marketing which was kind of interesting which led me down building some seo tools and um 
trying to, I guess, kind of feed my own need, realizing there's things that I wanted to do and, and go from there. And um, that kind of led me to doing uh, one SEO, the uh, rank tracking tool project, and then doing into consulting. Um, and within there, I also built a t-shirt blanket business that was kind of a, a fun pet project. Um, but yeah, and then basically from consulting, I actually went in-house and then uh, did that for a while and then kind of switched gears and went more on the technical side, doing development, building um, a large CRM system for a Fortune 500 company, dove into some of the kind of dev work on the mobile side with mobile apps, um, built and launched an IoT product um, for um, a large company, and then kind of built a lot of proof of concept projects, got to go to CES, that was a lot of fun, and then kind of dove into web crawling and scraping and uh, uh, kind of, I guess, more of my recent role before uh, iPoll rank was doing some work with uh, vehicle telematics and uh, connected cars. Very cool. I mean, yeah, you, you said like in your spare time, you're always playing with like Raspberry Pi these days and coming out with like yeah. ridiculous use cases for that. Got one right here. <laughs> What are you working on right now? Any, any secret projects? Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, I did find uh, some large data from a sitemap that I thought was fascinating. So uh, just uh, scrape the sitemap and then scrape the page and then pull out some of the data. Um, yeah. That's really cool. So, so web scraping, you've been kind of obsessed with rank tracking for a while now and have worked on these different projects. And as someone who is, is trying to kind of navigate what rank tracking is in 2022, you're in the SERPs constantly. Um, and the SERPs are, are changing rapidly. What are, what are you seeing recently that, that's like caught your eye in terms of some of these new you know, types of enhancements that are coming up and, and why do you think it's important? Yeah, I think what's really fascinating is just how real time Google is getting. So if I do a search at 9 a.m., the Best Buy near me is closed. And it will say that Best Buy is closed, but it's opening soon. Um, similarly, if products are in stock, out of stock, you know, seeing things like there, but it's also interesting. Um, I um, do a lot of requests from different locations and seeing what comes back there, which different uh, rich um, uh, snippet uh, is shown for a different uh, keyword. So it's it's been kind of interesting seeing, uh, I guess, the change of the SERP over the years. Well, I mean, that's, that's really interesting, like the incremental rank tracking, because the idea is if you are doing something, especially I'm sure local, has, that has the biggest impact on. If you have any sort of local search, like if, if you're beyond just the hours of operation, you know, like the, the in-stock, out-stock product, like what direction do you think that's going in? And, and as an SEO, is there anything you can really do to control it? Uh, I think there's kind of a, a few things in it. Obviously, it's leveraging some of the kind of semantics that Google's given you with, you know, structured data, uh, kind of going from there. But there's kind of other things that I would say of like, just how you, you know, optimize or think about your product. If you're an e-commerce store, what platform are you on? What, you know, what kind of data feeds are you providing um, to get that data out there and to, you know, hopefully rank? As well as to, I would say, look at different um features that appear on some of the keywords and what competitors are doing and what on their page is leading to that result. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, to your point about the data that's being fed in where you're starting to see 
some examples where Google's pulling information that's not using structured data, but it feels like structured data is always an, an opportunity to have a competitive advantage if you're actually utilizing it. What's, what's kind of your thought in terms of as an SEO implementing it? Um, like, do, is it, are we going to get to a point where it doesn't matter or is it always going to be like a competitive advantage? Uh, well, I say it definitely doesn't, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but I'd say that if you're a larger enterprise uh, company that has millions of web pages, you're more likely to get a lot more content pickup. And if you're a smaller player trying to compete against those, that could definitely help with um, having proper syntax and structure. But I would say that, you know, at some point, and you're even seeing this in like a mobile SERP for, uh, let's say, Best Buy and AirPods, you, you actually get an experience of like viewing the product within the SERP. Uh, and then it's just like a click to buy. Um, so I, I definitely feel like it's kind of interesting seeing like, do you even need a web page where it's like just getting that data into Google and it all being within the SERP? So I mean, it's, it's scary to some extent for content creators, right? Because the idea is as Google, like for instance, to your point, recently Google started rolling out or testing buying guides in e-commerce. So, you know, showing all this data that's maybe pulled from the original seller or from the affiliate, like as an SEO, is there anything, do you want to show up in those pills, in those like, those like, you know, interstitials that, that Google's providing, or do you want to just be the organic result and hope that you're you're getting the traffic to your website yeah well i mean even if you're the organic result you may be so far down the page you know below the fold or scrolling um so you know it's kind of uh, a a good and bad of uh being where you are right you know creating great content getting traffic from google you know it's kind of the, the good with it but uh you are so yeah just giving up your data uh, for them to consume and go from there so <laughs> I mean, that, that's a problem, too, because it's like, well, when you're looking at the way that we rank track in the past, it was always like just the 10 blue links, like just where are you ranking, you know, relatively in terms of your organic. But like are, are SEOs using pixel height? Like are people taking that into consideration when they're trying to report on on the performance of their content? I think they're starting to. Um... I feel like with pixel height, you know, it depends on the tool and it depends on, you know, the specific um, SERP. So we know with mobile, they now have the continuous scroll, right? So everyone's on page one. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, I think it's, you know, important to understand and understand the landscape. You know, it's kind of interesting reflecting back of like how things have changed. So there was a client I used to do work for where we wanted to really own local. So we bought, I think it was like 1500 domains, you know, like every keyword city state and just like build out pages and just go as, as broad as we can. And, you know, they got crushed with a few penalties after Google, you know, did not like that, but um, it's just interesting. It's again, this cat and mouse game of, you know, what works, but, you know, if you kind of focus on the, I guess, play within the side, the rules, uh, you know, you're still rewarded with traffic. It, and it's interesting to your point too, about mobile versus desktop. It almost seems like in addition to focusing on the appearance of rich snippets and pixel height, depending on the device, you actually have to look at rank tracking differently depending on the device. Like, you know, if you rank at a certain place on mobile, 
it's going to be different than where you rank on desktop and it's going to probably generate a different amount of traffic. And so you probably invest resources differently depending on that, that query and that device. Yeah, it definitely makes it a bit more intensive, right? Because now you're looking at location, you're looking at device, um, you know, you, you're looking at different placement and understanding the different features within it. So there, there's a lot of uh, things to look at, even if it's just one, you know, simple term. Um, it's also interesting to keep in mind just, you know, every rank tracker at its core is just starting with basically a fresh search, right? There's no history or something like that. Whereas like most people, they don't delete all their cookies and start fresh every time they do a search. So there's some, you know, history. So there's kind of the, an interesting balance with that, but uh, it's definitely fascinating to compare and see, you know, what's going on with it as well as just the differences on mobile, there's so many more images and so many more different things that aren't on desktop um, uh, searches. So, yeah. Wait, you don't, you don't delete your cookies every time you could do a new search. <laughs> uh, it depends, right? <laughs> no, but that, that being said, so let's talk about kind of what's your bread and butter, which is web scraping. Um, you've built a lot of bots over the years and obviously when you're web scraping, whether you're building your own scraper or getting data from, from someone else, there's a lot of data and info like in the SERPs. What are you looking for when you build a bot to scrape that data? Yeah, so kind of get a step back from it a bit. So like one kind of methodology I always think about is failing first. So, you know, if your resource either blocking you or, you know, maybe that data you need to be getting from another different source, um, is definitely kind of a challenge. The other one is more of backfilling or caching. So with caching, so for example, you may be testing your script and just running it. Well, you don't want to keep running it against what you're going to be scraping later. You need a cache source so that you can work on testing your script and iterate versus you kind of open up the floodgates and go from there. Um, another thing to keep in mind that I always like to do is more back of the envelope counting. So how many seconds are in a day and how many requests do I need to do? So there's 86,400 seconds in a day. So if you're doing 100,000 requests, they need to happen under a second. It's going to either take more than a day or you need to do different threads and servers um, in order to do that. So maybe you have, you know, two or five or 10 different servers running these requests. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely fascinating. It's, it's interesting because you really do have to think about your resources and the timing of everything. And to your point about like the failures, I remember working at companies in the past, the idea, like for instance, whenever trying to scrape Google is a completely different experience than trying to scrape Amazon, right? Because like Amazon's a, like a moving target all the time. They're not going to like, block you or Amazon's going to block you more than Google is, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. And I would kind of call that out, right? Like what um, work is whoever you're scraping from putting in a barrier to stop you from scraping? And, and what is that, right? So like early on with Google, they would, you know, show you like a CAPTCHA or whatever. And so it's like, okay, go get a new proxy and start again. Like, no big deal, right? But um, it's more interesting where like other companies are doing different uh, checks on your um, 
uh, requests to see like, are certain things running? Does this exist? Like, you know, do I have access to location? You know, just, there's a lot of other things that you may need to consider, you know, when you're scraping and, and some of it definitely gets kind of uh, interesting as like an aggregate or like a workaround. Um, so like a while back, I had a post about crawling without crawling, where basically I would just scrape sitemaps to get all the URLs. So rather than have to me like go through and iterate, it's like, well, I can just like massively, you know, dump all these URLs and then do a compare. So like in the case of this, I had a project where I was comparing what is sold in Walmart, but not Target. And so a lot of it was able to do just that, where it's like, well, you can pull out so much data from the URLs without actually hammering the site. That's, I mean, the, to your point, there's so much data. And yet, I'm curious, what are some of the limitations of web scrapers, specifically for SEO? Like, what can't you do? Yeah, I mean, there, there I, would, I, would, I feel like there's very little. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Puppeteer, which is basically Chrome. Um, and there's a lot of things and settings that, again, that they there may be blockades or things they're checking. But, you know, with various proxies, as well as some of the newer technologies of leveraging cellular for proxies, um, it just kind of opens up the floodgates from there. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely been fascinating. When you, when you look at the data, so like, for instance, and, and this is where I, I, I'm out of my depth, but like, obviously you can get most of the SERP info, like rich, you know, snippet info, structured data, for instance, with like mom coming out and they're going to provide all this additional navigational data that tries to push you into a refined query. Is that something that you can web scrape or is that not like, do you anticipate that not being accessible? Uh, I think it's just more of like actions and resource and costs. So I think some of this stuff is going to cost more in order to fetch or aggregate because it requires um, more things to do, whether it be to like showcase a pogo sticking in order to get Google to fire off something within a SERP to say, hey, you know, this is um, people also search for this. And you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't see that when this SERP loaded, but if I pogo stick and then come back, I can pull that, you know, just other things like that. The other one is obviously just reading the code and seeing more of what they're doing um, and, and, and parsing from there and, and, and kind of going from there, so. Gotcha, like, so basically like reverse engineering, whatever you can pull. Yeah, and, and to that point, like one thing I'm also a big fan of is either like a playback feature. So basically taking your historic uh, request of whatever that is and then being able to replay it. So I, I had a few um, providers where their data wasn't right and I basically wanted a way to replay it. And so I had the original um, HTML that I could then basically reparse and then get the data that I did want from it, whereas the original, um, their parsing uh, broke and yeah, went from there. So, well, that, I mean, that's a perfect segue because I am curious about like SEO data providers. There are a ton out there, and you kind of, you kind of, it's a bit of a wild west where you kind of have to figure out like what is quality data, what what is not. Like, you you have a lot of experience doing this. What do you look for in an SEO data provider? Yeah, so I, I would say like the the key thing is obviously consistency. So, you know, I will run a certain query different times of days and, you know, 
expect to see certain things, uh, you know, over and over, as well as like some of my more go-tos of like, okay, I know this SERP really well, that has this many features, or, you know, I would think, let me run through this and see like, does, you know, these things check the box. Um, I also will say it's interesting just the amount of metadata and the structure of the payload of what they're providing back. So in the case of uh, indents, like how is that provided back or showcased, or even just how they describe some of the features, um, something as simple as the knowledge panel, like what all data are they sending back or there then there was a knowledge panel on the server. So, Right, because they're, they're coming up with a lot of their own definitions. And so it's like if they don't have good documentation of how they're providing the parse data, like you, you kind of have to figure it out for yourself to some extent. Yeah, the, it's uh, it, it's always interesting, right? So everyone's always like, oh, wow, that's weird, right? Let me take a screenshot and, and tweet at Barry, like, is this new? And it's <laughs> like, well, it probably happened, but like, do we have a word for it? Like, you know, how, how do you describe that? And that's something that I definitely have been struggling in where like there's certain things where I see or, you know, I'll see, you know, Barry post, but then it's like, we, we need a name for these things, like, uh, and kind of go from there, so. That, I, that's that's a really interesting like situation. I'm trying to think of if there's was there anything recently you can think of that was like that came out and nobody knew what to call it, and so it just led to confu like confusion for the data providers or so there's different carousels. There's different. I'm trying to think of like. Yeah, I mean there. Uh, hmm. There's nothing specific that I know, but like, I, I guess the, there's a few things here and there with some of the, like the FAQs uh, within the results that show it there. Um, I feel like sometimes those are, are named differently or, or provided differently in the payloads, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting, right? So like, there's also just so much change at Google of either killing products that were part of a soup SERP and are not anymore. Right. Like it's so funny to see people still talk about like um, Google plus and it's like, <laughs> this, this is not a thing. Like we can it's move been on. a long time since Google plus. And, and it's, I, I try not to be a judgmental person, but it's so hard when you go to a website and you see someone still rocking their Google plus, let alone like the fact of it showing up in a, in a SERP in some capacity. I, I'm curious now. So, we talked a little bit about web scraping and the different types of data, but like getting that data into a good pipeline for reporting, like how do you define that? How do you define like a good data pipeline? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess a few things with it. So it's more of just like, wh what kind of alerts do you need to bake in to like how your data is uh, either getting refreshed or even processed, right? Or how do you even know what's like coming in on the other end is like correct? So like, are there cases of like nulls or like empty quotes or some of the other nuances of the developer forgot to parse this thing? Um, so yeah, there's there's kind of things with that. Um, there's, there's kind of, uh, I guess, a bit more with, um, just anomaly detections like what are the things that like really changed um that you know you may not be aware of right so um it's kind of interesting like rank tracking is all about your changes but not necessarily maybe of the SERP changes of being able to see competitors and things like that I feel like that's a that's a big thing that's challenging going back to earlier in the conversation about location and timing about how frequency how frequently 
the SERPs change is like when you're looking at a moment in time and there's always going to be elements that are slightly changing, pulsing, pulling the right data and, you know, not like gaslighting yourself to see if it's correct because it probably is going to be different, especially for like local queries, for instance. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, that's kind of the thing is like you you have your guardrails of like, okay, I expect to get like this type of data, but like every now and again, you're like, what is that? Like, when did that happen? Right. And, and it could just be some, you know, nuanced thing. Right. So like Valentine's day was Monday. There could have been, um, I was pulling the SERP coming in did posted about it. And it was just so fascinating to see like the ads and just how crowded that, that SERP was, but you know, it's, it's so focus you know if like i'm doing the search from pittsburgh versus doing the search from new york or something it's just so different but yet you know again same 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 term right okay i'm gonna i'm gonna put you on the spot because we didn't discuss but i'm very curious with all the rank tracking tools they all have their data and they all put out these like volatility reports which is kind of what we're talking about of like how much the serps are fluctuating how much weight or value do you put into the, like based on, you know, not knowing the data or, or like how reliable it is, how, how much value do you put into these different tools and their volatility reports? Like, is it BS or is there some legitimacy? Ooh. Well, obviously there's, there's some math to it, right? At some point. And, and there could be even just like the developer of math where it's like, oh, you just multiply it by two and take the fifth one. And you're like, well, there's no <laughs> logic there, but sure. Sounds great. Um, but uh, I mean, what's kind of hard or I guess interesting to me is the more the transparency of like, how did we get here? Like, how is this calculated? Let me show you. And like, here's an example. And that's like just so helpful to understand as well as like to understand cases where there isn't volatility due to, you know, this happened, you know, like a request happened back to back and so there was nothing that really changed from there versus one that happened you know a day or a week ago or something like that how, how much transparency do you think there is like you you ex, you know kind of look at all these tools and, and look at the documentation like are seo tool and data providers pretty good about it or is there a certain opaqueness that you can expect that like people aren't really telling you what's under their hoods yeah, I feel like there are certain providers, you know, definitely more open or, you know, happy to have that conversation, whereas others, you know, um, you know, are cautious because, you know, just like that, you know, where is that, you know, coming from as well as like, you know, that's a number of people use over and over again and, and, and kind of go from there. So I feel I feel like on the one hand, there's the aspect of to your, to your point, the potential for like mucky math, right? Like just like like kind of dirty math that isn't actually, you know, producing a result that that's logical. And then there's the other side of things where it's just a protection of proprietary formulas and and, and internal algorithms. I feel like that happens a lot, which makes sense because it's like if you've come up with some sort of math that you don't like in the SEO tool space, you see a feature come out somewhere and it comes out everywhere else instantly. I can imagine the, like the proprietary math is one of those components that, that you can hold close to your heart and not have it stolen. Uh, yeah, I, I think that makes some sense, but I, I feel like people need to know how that's calculated and yeah. like to take it with a grain of salt or to, you know, understand like, you know, one saying 46, one saying 48. Is there a difference? Probably not, but 
you know, it gives you just an indicator of where to go from there. So. And I think that's fair because we look, you know, we, you and I have had discussions about the methodology of any of the research studies that are done. And, you know, if people don't put the, the methodology out there, then you can't really have any sort of trustworthiness um, in, in the results of the experiment or, or the research, like in terms of like the scale or the volume or, you know, the, the, the type of data that they chose, like that's problematic. Yeah, it's interesting you kind of talk about that. But, um, you know, I'd love for people just to open up that data and be like, here, go at it. I mean, it, it is kind of also intimidating to people. Like I had a 24 gigabyte JSON file the other day that I had to process. And like even just viewing that and understanding, like, how can I take a look at this data and understand in there uh, can be a challenge. But, you know, it's 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 also interesting because once you do kind of break down that data, it's like, okay, now I have something we can start working with and going from there. Yeah, I mean, data analysis and, and being a data scientist is so fascinating because it's like you need the tools to be able to process everything, but then you need just the critical thinking of like how to look at the data. And that's something that could take a lifetime to really figure out to, to really get to that point of like you can surface these insights. I mean, that's why you all build the tools though. We're getting to the end. I do want to ask you um, a little bit about some of the technical challenges that you actually run into with data aggregation at scale. So when you're looking at hundreds of thousands of keywords year over year, we're talking a little bit about the data pipeline. What's challenging as you scale? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is more just like the infrastructure and cost and how to handle um, processing. So, you know, you're there's a lot of things that you need uh, multiple backend systems to be able to do kind of like um, post requests. So, you know, you may be uh, expecting to get back a, a ton of data and then, you know, each request is going to take you X number of seconds to process and, and just being able to build an infrastructure with queues and uh, workers so that you'd be able to scale up workers and have the queues absorb it. Uh, definitely a, a good practice there, but uh you know, it's, it's also just challenging, you know, thinking through and seeing some of the differences and how can you say like, okay, like this is, these two are, you know, similar, but not the same, or, you know, is this something that I need to really, you know, save and store and, and care about? So it, it, it sounds like as you scale, it's, it's really important to kind of mind your efficiencies and really make everything as clean as possible. Cause the more unwieldy, it gets that's where things break down and to your point if you don't have those alerts like the whole machine can come crashing down sooner or later yeah definitely like anomaly detection or, or other things to to keep you just to, to understand you know what's going on as well as you know to um kind of understand where that data is coming from where is it going and and how you plan to to kind of process that um so yeah this is, dude, I, I could talk to you forever. And it's funny, this is so out of my element too, but I feel, I think it's so fascinating and I have so much admiration for engineers who who get under the hood and, and work with these like really complex sort of, you know, um, tools and pipelines to be able to use this data in a really helpful way, especially at scale. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but if people want to get in touch with you and talk more, I know you had like an awesome thread that blew up on Twitter recently about <laughs> technical SEOs and building a community, but like, where, where is the best way to get in touch? 
yeah, just reach out to me on Twitter uh, at John Merch. Um, that's definitely the the easiest way. Um, you know, I yeah, I, I definitely have been working my way through trying to you know outreach. Always happy to talk to different you know technical people and, and kind of go from there. That's awesome. Building building that community. Thank you so much for for chatting and 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 geeking out with me about the technical SEO and talking data. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, this has been super fun and super excited to, you know, do more and show more. So we'll go from there. Yeah. So be, before we go, just just to give a shout out. So next Thursday, John is joining our own uh, Mike King on a awesome free webinar for why is your rank tracking not enough? Going to go in deeper into some of these things, talk about rank, rank tracking, like the history of it and, and where we're at now and how to like actually surface valuable rank tracking insights. It's going to be cool. So you can check that out at ipolrank.com slash webinar hyphen registration. I think that's it. Either way, we'll, yep. we'll put it on the link. Um, and then outside of that, it's a hiatus, but keep your eyes peeled for March 3rd when we're going to put out the version two, a new version of the Rankable podcast with your host, Aaron Johnson, he's going to kick butt. Uh, thank you all for, for watching and listening. This has been great. We will see you in the future. Peace out.